Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Stephen Meyer. Uh, Steve and I actually graduated from the University of Toledo together, so I'm glad to have him on the podcast today. Uh, Steve, you spent a lot of your time working in retail pharmacy handling like the day-to-day activities. What other roles have you played in pharmacy or things that you want to share with some of the people listening? Oh, well, I've been with quite a few uh, retail uh, pharmacies, Eric, and thank, thanks again for having me on today. Uh, it was a great opportunity to spread our message. Um, so initially, uh, upon graduation back in 09, I moved out to Arizona and I was with Walgreens for three years. I got a little sick of the retail grind and uh, made a change and went to uh, veterinary compounding with a company called uh, Roadrunner Pharmacy. Uh, and then short, shortly thereafter, after about two or three years of doing that, I, I wanted more managerial responsibilities. So I went over to CVS, started managing stores for them, ended up meeting uh, my wife uh, out in Arizona, who is also a Toledo, Ohio resident. And then I moved home, um, so I had to ditch the CVS job because CVS jobs are tough to come by in Ohio. I'm sure many of our listeners know about that. Um, and uh, then I was just floating for Rite Aid um, until I took on this new uh, role, which is um, I'm a partner in a uh, specialty pharmacy. We are a specialty retail pharmacy that uh, mainly specializes in dermatology drugs down in Cincinnati. Um, we're called Sycamore Hills Pharmacy, but we do offer courier uh, services to uh, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. That's awesome. And yeah, especially pharmacy has been a huge growing niche. So it's a good thing to get, get in the ground level on when you can. So that's awesome. And with a lot of your experience, whether it be veterinary compounding or retail management, perfect role for you. So I'm glad to see you're, you're thriving down there in the Cincinnati area. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric. All right. So the reason I wanted you on here, it was pretty obvious. So you started a pharmacy group, pharmacy staff and pharmacists just a couple days ago about how the coronavirus is being handled. It's actually called Pharmacy Staff for COVID-19 Support. That's COVID-19 Support. It's on Facebook and it has blown up to well over 6,000 members now. It's approaching or soon will break 6,500 members. And it's a lot of people arguing or not arguing, uh, sharing the sentiments that you had expressed earlier that, hey, people aren't doing enough to protect pharmacists here. We're, we both live in Ohio, and luckily our governor, Mike DeWine, has been an absolute boss for handling this. He's led the way nationally and even been praised by President Trump for how well he's addressing this. So I think we can all say that our state is probably in the best shape for it. And because of that, there's been a lot of direction that has come down from the state board and people and the powers that be. But one thing that was really kind of ignored at first, at least, was the pharmacist. We were told we have to stay open no matter what because people need health care. But we weren't given PPE. We weren't giving any real guidance on how to do this. And meanwhile, the whole time, coronavirus, COVID-19 is just out there spreading. So I really wanted to kind of pick your brain. What made you want to start this? Was it this? Was it what the stuff I just said? Or you know, what were you seeing that kind of wanted you to start this group? So to be honest with you, it, it doesn't really take a pharmacist to see what the issue is here. We have a we have a disease that um, is known to be semi airborne, uh, you, you know, droplets that can remain in the air for up to three hours. Um, and we have a open uh, front end of a pharmacy. Uh, so so you don't have to be a pharmacist to realize that, uh, you know, somebody's going to get sick. So 
really what I wanted to do was I wanted to implement strategies where we could at least strive for a hundred percent, you know, non-transmittal rate on uh, on COVID nineteen. Now, COVID nineteen is a very virulent uh, disease, so we're never gonna you're never gonna get a hundred percent. But the, the the policies have to be in place where we at least strive for a hundred percent, and that's just not where they are. Um, so obviously, you were you were mentioning uh, Governor Dewine, and I, I've thanked him multiple times on the on the pharmacy staff uh, for COVID nineteen group there. Uh, he's doing an incredible job um, at least leading these uh, corporations and independent pharmacies in, in, in the right direction. Um, and, and I think to a certain extent, it's on the pharmacist in charge and in uh, upper management at some of the retail chains to, to make these calls um, and go a little bit further. Uh, and that's the message I'm trying to trying to share there on the pharmacy staff for COVID-19 page. Uh, and the reason I think that uh, I'm a good spokesperson for it, obviously, you're a great spokesperson for it as well, which is why I invited you to be an admin on that page. But it's because I have already socially distanced my pharmacy. Um, we, we were about 95 percent local courier there in the metro Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area um, before this even hits. Last Thursday, I closed my doors and I hung signs on the uh, window saying, hey, we're delivery only. Um, thanks to the group, we've actually also added cur curbside. We're going to be adding on Monday. Um, I really thought that was a great idea. You know, I, I thought delivery and drive-through were the only options. But then, uh, you, you know, a member of the uh, of the group uh, talked about curbside, and I, I think that's kind of revolutionary as well. Um, so, you know, that's where we're at right now with it. Yeah, and that's the kind of the reason I'm glad you mentioned the group and how it gave you an idea right there. That's why we wanted this as as pharmacists. We want to know what everyone's doing, whether it's a mom and pop independent, whether it's you know the three letter chain that you know is dominating pharmacy. We want to know what's going on so that we can help better protect ourselves and our patients. Because if we get sick, they get sick. Like we have to interact with them on such an intimate level of handling their medications, even wearing gloves, what have you. We're still breathing around it. There's still counter spaces. We can take all the measures we want, but we're still interacting with them. And that's why I'm glad since obviously you manage a specialty pharmacy, you're really doing what you can to protect those patients. Because if somebody has something like eczema, psoriasis, or some sort of uh, immune mediated skin issue or immune mediated any issue that's needed by specialty pharmacy, they're automatically high risk. So that's a great step for you to make sure you really protect your patients. And I'm glad that the group was already beneficial to you. That's awesome. What other, uh, what are some of the other ideas you've seen float around that you really liked in the group that people are sharing? Oh, well, I mean, there's several, it's tough to, it's tough to pick out just one or two. I did want to briefly mention, uh, before going on to those ideas, um, that we, that we're also trying to support, um, inpatient pharmacists. I understand, uh, that, that they're kind of being brushed to the side when it comes to the use of PPE. True. Um, and, and in light of, uh, you know, Trump, uh, invoking those wartime powers where he, where he can, uh, force, um, businesses to start producing this PPE, we need, you know, a large percentage, not a large percentage, but a percentage of that PPE to be designated to pharmacies. Yeah. Um, you know, they've already told 3M to ramp up production, but there's plenty of other people that produce things that are not mass that can easily source, maybe not easily, I don't know the supply chain, but that can source the products to make mass and then convert over to maybe making some masks as well. Um, so, it, I mean, I'd really like to see at a minimum, uh, and th these are some of the ideas that, that I've stole off the page, if you will, but at a minimum, you want to see, you know, maybe that plastic 
uh, draped over the front. I know that is going to scare patients. Um, yeah. But really, we shouldn't be thinking of it as a scare tactic as much as, hey, we mean business. You know, you see this plastic draped over the front and we say, hey, go to the drive through only or wait in your car and we'll bring it out to you. And you say, oh, these these guys, this is a serious disease. Maybe I should be home. Maybe I shouldn't be just out and about running my errands, acting like, you know, everything's fine until it affects a member of my family. I think what I'm seeing mainly in Northwest Ohio is, uh, unfortunately, you know, the patient population under 35, because it's so widely known that, oh, you know, very few people under 35 have died. Well, just so you know, um, in, in the United States, uh, there was a 19-year-old that died this week. Yeah. Um, so and I, I, I definitely don't want people out there thinking they're immune to uh, disease just because they're under the age of 35. Um, so it, it's really to raise awareness, too, um, which is why I made it a public group. Now, we're, we're, we're shooting for pharmacists and pharmacy staff mainly in there. Um, but I really think that anybody with a, with a level head that understands the cause, that wants to protect the community, um, should be behind our cause. Yeah, and we've tried to tried to limit it a little bit, and we have a couple of questions of why people want to join to make sure. So we're filtering that as it is, but when you get thousands of people inundating you, it's it can be hard to kind of limit that. So there are a few patient advocates and people like that in there as well. One thing you mentioned as well, and you said the plastic sheeting would scare people. I always think back to like a car seat analogy or a seatbelt analogy where you know, people get in the car, they're like, well, I don't need a seatbelt. Well, you might. You know, it's, it's that little bit of safety we use to protect ourselves. Sure, you drive a car 10,000 times, but all it takes is that one time and you need that seatbelt. It's literally, literally life or death. And the plastic sheeting is probably more preventive than even that. It could probably stop a lot of infections up at a pharmacy. I, I'm a little torn on it myself because there is that scare factor. And we have heard where there are some pharmacies in our state of Ohio that are telling people, no, they can't wear PPE as pharmacists, which should be just a basic accommodation that can be made. And I know at least one case, it was a, it was a, a pregnant woman who was told she can't wear PPE. What are your, some of your thoughts on, on the PPE aspect of this, if people have it? Well, if you can access the PPE, um, which I know is really trying, and, and why I'm kind of distancing myself from, from promoting the PPE is because it is so needed um, by the people that are actually you know, intubating Good point. Um, in, in the hospital. Um, and we are at a lower risk than somebody that's that's putting a tube in. Uh, so I, I've been trying to play off the PPE. But now that, you know, with this uh, and forgive me, I don't know the exact name of the act that Trump enacted the other day. You might be able to help me with that. But basically what it does is it allows um, non-producers of PPE the government to tell them, hey, you got to start making us some PPE. So if we get PPE, of course you should be able to use it. Um, I know uh, the message from the CDC is, hey, PPE, especially the lower kind, doesn't really protect from acquiring the disease, but properly used N95 masks definitely prevent from droplets entering the the lungs. I I mean, everybody knows that, That's, that's what their purpose was. Now, even though the CDC is telling the public that, hey, you don't need masks, well, that might be true uh, because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the public hasn't been trained on how to wear the mask. A lot of times they contaminate yeah. themselves just taking the mask off. So it's more of a hazard statistically to somebody <laughs> that doesn't know how to use it. But we, we're trained medical professionals. We know how to use PPE. We know when to change PPE. So if you have the PPE and anybody's telling you not to put it on and you, you, you're in a you know uh, front-facing 
setting, whether it even be the cashier at Kroger. Yeah. Um, you know, you, 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 and I'm sorry, at any um, grocery, I shouldn't specifically say um, that company. But nonetheless, uh, whether it be a cashier um, or anybody, if, if you have the PPE and you are trained on how to use it, you should be able to use it. And I believe that's why the governor just uh, put that in the implementing infection control uh, protocols there yesterday um, that, you know, corporate cannot tell you to take that off in Ohio. now. Yeah. And if people want to know what we're referring to with Ohio, if you go to the Ohio Pharmacy Board website and Google or Google Ohio Pharmacy Board coronavirus, they have some amazing uh, documents of the changes they've had when they've been enacted with dates and what have you. Highly recommend if you have any concerns for your state, if you're not in Ohio, that you take that to them as at least a template of, hey, look what's being done here. And they've been praised for what they've, you know, they've been doing in this state. Definitely something that should be shared around quite a bit. Obviously, exposing people to coronavirus is a huge thing. And we get exposed to tons of stuff here. At first, you were, I know you, at first you were a little upset with the way the governor didn't mention pharmacists right away. He's kind of come around on that with at least some of the things they've enacted with the State Board of Pharmacy. So definitely give him some praise there. But I don't know if you heard this, even Joe Biden in a PBS uh, NewsHour after he had won some of the primaries, came out and actually thanked pharmacists. Did you hear that? I, I actually didn't hear uh, Biden's comments. And and I just, uh, I want to clarify something. Yes, I was I, I was pretty passionate about uh, that initial Ohio Coronavirus Task Force with Amy Acton and, and, and Governor DeWine not speaking about pharmacists. And that's why I post that as one of the most, or one of the first posts on the COVID-19 page. But it's not like, it's not like, woe is me, yeah. um, you know, we're important. It's just that, hey, why aren't you thinking about this? Has anybody spoken to you about this? I mean, you have to think Trump was just, what was it, on Wednesday of last week or Thursday of last week, might even been Friday, um, where uh, he had all the CEOs from all these major retail chains there. And you have to believe that somebody said, what are you going to do to protect your employees? Yeah. And obviously... Um, you know, nothing came out of that. Now, I wasn't in the meeting. None of us had <laughs> notes from the meeting or minutes from the meeting. But I have to assume that it was at least discussed or thought about and not discussed intentionally. Um, so it, it, the, the fact of the matter is um, nobody in a retail uh, chain should be considered replaceable. Um, yes. And what w- what they're going to find out here in about you know, what is the incubation period up to 14 days? In about 14 days, um, they're going to find out, wow, we really made some missteps because that, uh, for instance, uh, ph- pharmacy that one of our uh, cohorts, uh, Tristan Hill, works at, does a thousand prescriptions a day. Uh, Tristan Hill goes down. Um, what do you do? I, I've seen retail I, I've seen retail chains say, oh, OK, so you lost a person. So we need everybody else to work extra hours wait a second um are we going to close and disinfect or or or, uh are we just going to ramp it up um are we going to put any barriers in place because clearly he got it um well not clearly but more than likely he got it at work right i mean the guy goes from work to home uh and tristan sorry to call you out on here i don't know if you're going to listen to this but um Nonetheless, uh, when Tristan Hill's pharmacy goes down and there's no longer a thousand prescriptions going out the door, who's going to pick that up? Who's going to have the adequate staffing to pick that up? I know this is the time of year when when corporate loves to cut hours 
and Eric, weren't you affected by that recently? Yeah, I was too. And I was doing a, a similar volume to what Tristan was doing. Uh, some of the some of the PBM changes drastically killed my pharmacy's rate. But to your point, when we were filling seven eight hundred prescriptions a day, that's a lot of people walking the door. We've got three four pharmacists, upwards of ten techs there. There's no way we can actually follow any sort of social distancing guidelines when you have that many people crammed into what's essentially a neighborhood corner store pharmacy. I mean, we were bigger than most, but if you even double the size of a normal pharmacy, you can't keep that social distancing and also help people at the same time, which is then, you know, we're infecting each other. We're passing it on. All it takes is that one person to get sick and it's just going to incubate there. And like you said, for 14 days, I've heard from somebody I know pretty well who works in the Seattle area that obviously Seattle has been impacted as much as any, any city in this country has that they're expecting this to really ramp up and maybe peak in six to eight weeks. So we're not talking, like you yeah. said, like like a couple couple days, couple weeks here. We're talking almost upwards of a month and a half, two months before we're going to see this really peak if drastic measures aren't taken. I don't know if, if you have heard similar things where you work, but that was just something I heard that I thought, wow, that's kind of eye-opening, but hit exactly what you said. Yes, it's it, it, it's sad um, that it's going it, to it, it probably um, unless we can keep invoking change here, um, it, it, it's probably going to take, you know, some of these very large um, stores like yours or Tristan's to close down before people are like, oh, wait, so we can't just put, you know, Joe Smith back there to count the pills. <laughs> um, I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, some of our uh, politicians um, do not fully understand the role of pharmacists. And uh, you can't just uh, graduate them early like they are in Italy right now with nurses, Yeah. Um, which I, I don't know how I feel about that either. That's pretty scary if you ask me. Yeah. Um, they've never intubated somebody once. Uh, let's go ahead and graduate you know, because uh, people are dropping like flies out there. Uh, so, I mean, we need to change and we need to change, I would say, by Monday or today. Um, yeah, you know, the, the sooner the better. <laughs> Yeah, let's let let's make it happen today. Um, but with emphasis on there's nothing. I, I mean, when you're a pharmacist in charge, your job is to protect your patient population and to do well upon them, right? Yep. Um, that's that's the oath we all said we we're, we were going to abide by. Nowhere does it say unless corporate tells you not to. So it's time for people to stand up and and make these changes, and then then make them tell you you can't do it yeah and, and, and make sure when they tell you you can't do it say i want that in writing because i think i have a legal right to protect my patient population and, and make sure when you are submitting hey this is my protocol for mitigation of covid19 submit that in writing as well um so that way when they tear it apart or tear it up uh you have a copy of what you presented them um you're gonna want that yeah, and I think that's key what you hit on. Document everything, especially as pharmacists. We do a good job of documenting everything on prescriptions, hard copies, you know, MTM claims, what have you. But we don't exactly do the best of advocating for ourselves and documenting it. So many times you hear, well, they told me that. Who told you that? Well, my DM. Do you have it in writing? Do you have a voicemail? Then it didn't happen. You know, that's unfortunately how the, the legal aspect of this all works. So I definitely want people to keep that in mind of, you know, communicate via email. If anything, that's probably a better thing because you can send that email. You don't have to be face-to-face -face with them. You don't have to interrupt any phone calls that you're getting in. There. I mean, it's, a, it's the perfect way of doing that or texting somebody so you can kind of multitask, which we're all forced to do at this point, beyond even our 
recognizable abilities to do so to help address this this major outbreak. And I really like the fact that you said of, hey, if you have a plan, submit it. Because I bet you more than not, if uh, any of these pharmacies see someone who cares enough to come with a plan of here's what I'm doing, I don't see them shooting that down, especially with where we're at right now with this. We're talking about, you know, trillions of dollars being pumped in the economy just to kind of prop up Wall Street. And I think as I look here right now, it's already just plummeting down. So we're trying to stave off what could be the inevitable. But that's a huge thing is if you're if you're taking the initiative to make a plan, and you say, this is what I want. This is what I expect. I think that you should be more than more than able to do that as long as it at least meets a minimum standard of what they're doing, you know, at w- at where you're currently working. You don't want to go backwards on any of this, obviously. You had also been a huge advocate for uh, for using drive-throughs and kind of like you said, that curbside pickup, which I love. I think that's probably the best way. I would love to see pharmacies put signs up, like you said you did at yours, saying, hey, please, you know, stay outside, stay in your car, things like that. What do you think would be a good step for pharmacies to help direct patients to drive-throughs and to you know, to use some of those curbside pickup features? Well, I think it's inevitable in the next week or two that we're going to see some type of uh, not not security officer per se, but some, some type of employee at these large uh, chains that's going to be outside the front door uh, regulating the amount of people that come into the store. And that's for good social distancing. Um, and it's also uh, so people don't run on the toilet paper aisle. Yeah. Um, you're seeing a lot of uh, companies put things in place. I know Walmart, Target uh, put some good things in place about seniors getting access to the store. I think that's all well and good, but there's a whole community of food service workers that are on their couch right now that would love to run your package from pharmacy yeah. um, to, you, you know, uh, a person in needs car in the parking lot. I have had some feedback on the website, you know, hey, my, my technicians are all all elderly. They're all 60 to 75 years old, which my first thought was like, oh, no, um, <laughs> they probably shouldn't even be in there. But to that purpose or to that point, they said, you know, I can't have them running. I in a large grocery store from the front door to where the pharmacy is in the back. You know, that's 100 yards. Yeah. Um, well, that's right. That's where that's where you, it, it, part of your plan has to be like we need three runners and we'll pay them at least minimum wage, if not more, because you really got to think anybody that is in a front serving retail position right now deserves a raise. Yes. Hazard um, pay would be awesome for especially yeah. the technicians, man. I mean, I have praised technicians in the past for being worth their weight in gold so that we can use our knowledge to help people. But right now, man, there are lifeline. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I've gotten a little bit of feedback. Oh, you're not advocating for the cashiers or you're not. I am advocating for the cashiers. I had to start somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, I, I would love every retail employee to have PPE. You know who does? China. Um, every retail employee has PPE there. But I think people really need to wake up to the big picture that this is here. It's on us. You can't see it. it, 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 it many patients are asymptomatic i love where china now is saying oh we're going back to and i'm digressing from pharmacy a little bit but we're going back to life as normal and then you see the pictures they're all wearing masks yep the six six year old kids wearing masks so is that life as normal um well we're nowhere close we're on the upswing and nobody's wearing masks so if that doesn't scare you i don't know what does yeah and kind of 
moving on from that a little bit, but still on the topic of pharmacies and obviously COVID-19, the federal government mentioned that pharmacies are going to be doing testing in a drive-up, curbside, whatever fashion you want to call it, in parking lots. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea, um, but but those type of places, um, you're going to have people double dipping in that line. If that front door is open at Walmart, and let's say we're doing at a Walmart parking lot, there's going to be people that are going to be waiting in line, and they're going to send their kid out the back seat. Hey, run into Walmart really quick and get this item. True. Well, you have known carriers of COVID-19 in that vehicle. You have an open store, and then you have guys out there in hazmat suits taking the test. So where's the disconnect here? These are all on the same, you know, quarter square mile there. Yeah. It's all on the same campus. Where's the disconnect? I mean, if you're going to protect them outside, you definitely got to protect them inside too. Wouldn't you think, Eric? Oh yeah, I agree. I think that, I, mean, I don't know how the setup's going to work, especially in some of these smaller footprint models. But if you have something big like a Walmart parking lot, they need to establish a line and they need to make sure to have people who are really keeping their eye on the people in their car. Because if, hey, if you're at high risk and you have the authorization to be tested, we need to treat you like you're infected. We, we should all act like we're infected, to be quite honest, to protect everybody. And that's why oh, the social that's... distancing is in there. But, I mean, that's, like you said, I, that was one of my worries was, yeah, that's great. You know, they're going to come in and get tested. I love the access to it. I love promoting pharmacies as being a place you can come get tests. But I'm worried once they leave the car. <laughs> Correct. Correct. That, it, I, I think that's all of our worries. Um, and, and maybe that's why... We need to get a little more stringent on the social distancing, maybe mandatory lockdowns in areas where it's not really popped up yet. Yeah. Um, just 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 to really um, wake people up and also to buy us some time to pr- produce this protect protective equipment. I mean, I, I'm just going to I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that somebody right now, um, whether it be because of our page or because of the message or just because of simple logic is out there producing PPE with the intention of giving it to pharmacy staffs or retail employees in general. There's probably somebody out there doing that right now, but we need time. So so until that time, it really should be the healthy that are out running around. We are a nation of giving, right? I mean, we have all these charities, all these organizations that give. So right now, what what Americans need to give is if you're over or if you're under 35, 40 years old, no comorbidities that that make you more uh, likely to have um, complications from COVID-19, then you got to be the runner for the family. You got to be the guy out there doing the missions. You got to be the guy not infecting pharmacists. So that's the message I really want to get out. And you need to be using the hand sanitizer when you're coming in contact with people or picking stuff up that you don't know where it's been or using washing your hands, doing that sort of thing. I went and got something the other the other day that we had to have for our house here and you know, I had the we came home, we had this box from Amazon sitting there and I'm going, Oh, I don't know who that came from. I don't know who touched that. So of course, you know, we had a like a Lysol wipe here. I just wiped it down real quick and wiped my hands, threw it out. Because you you have no idea who's touching stuff anymore and it's it's a little scary because like you said, it is invisible. I'm not trying to like fear monger everybody here but you know these are the type of precautions that if we do this and we can stop one case you know if you stop one case there's an exponent that goes with it so every time you stop a transmission it's huge again not trying to fear monger here or scare anybody but you have to think of those things when you're working you know like when you tell someone in a pharmacy oh just put your pin in okay should probably wipe that down so make sure that i would tell them maybe hit credit so there's less buttons being pushed less kind of vectors of transmission at the pharmacy for one example 
But then you have the issue of if everyone's pushing credit, everyone's hitting the same button. So I, I don't know where that balancing act falls in exactly, unless you have any ideas on that part. Well, I'll tell you, transactionally, that that is the main place where we're worried about transmission now. I mean, Ohio basically said, um, you know, don't give immunizations at this point when they said, hey, you have to be following uh, universal precautions. Um, just so everybody knows, universal precautions just means the use of PPE and appropriate PPE, depending on what type of infection we're dealing with. So we're, we're dealing with something that's potentially aerosolized. So in my mind, that means gloves, mask at a minimum, and probably goggles to prevent it from, you know, getting in your eyes. Uh, so unless you have that, you really shouldn't be giving immunizations right now. So really everything we're talking about right now is, hey, how can we make that transaction better? Um, I've heard, oh, yeah, wear gloves. Well, the people that say that they're right, but you have to realize how many transactions there are. Let's let's talk about that pharmacy that's doing a thousand prescriptions a day. That's probably, you know, about one and a half prescriptions per order. So about six hundred and fifty um, actual transactions a day. That's six hundred and fifty opportunities to spread that virus. And like you said, this is exactly how I explain it to my staff. You have COVID-19. Now, when I told everybody when they came in on Monday that <laughs> COVID-19, believe me, I saw some eyes really wide. But it, that is the only way to get it across. So you would literally have to change gloves after every transaction yeah. to prevent to prevent spreading it. Um, so that's where um, we really got to think uh, outside the box. Could there be a way that we dispense that through some type of anti-room type wall um, yeah. that we can construct? And these are more future things. I mean, obviously, drop cloths and things like that are good now. But is is there a sterilization step where we can ensure that that packaging um, does not have the virus on it when we hand it to the runner for the runner to run out to the car or we, when we hand it through the drive through window? Um, and th that's what I worry about. I'll tell you, I picked up um, because I'm big on supporting the uh, restaurants that, that remain open here in Lucas County. Um, so I went to, to Bar's Public House yesterday and picked up dinner um, on my way home from Cincinnati, my uh, weekly pilgrimage back from work. <laughs> and um, when I got home, you got to think, um, not only does everybody have COVID if you're trying to uh, prevent uh, transmission, but that box, that yeah. box that that food is in. Hey, it, 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 you got to come home, you got to open up the box, you got to wash your hands, and then you pull the food out of the box. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's sad that we have to think about these things, but everybody's got to take it to the next step um, because out there, unfortunately, there's somebody that's doing absolutely nothing. So for that person that's doing absolutely nothing, we got to do two times as much to make up. For it. Probably even more than two times. But yeah, okay. I, yeah. going back to a point you said here earlier, you talked about the shots. I would probably still give... If, and I'm not saying to hit a metric, but if somebody walked up and was concerned and wanted a flu shot or pneumonia shot, I'd probably still give that just as long as they fit the criteria. Because at this point, if we can even stop one case from going in a hospital, that's one more bed that is free to help them take care of somebody. Or that's one less person a nurse has to take care of, a doctor has to see. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm I, Again, but some of the precautions they put in place, I don't even know if that's necessarily what they want. But if it's a Shingrick shot, I'd probably kick them you know, hey, come back in a little while. We're not worried about that right now. But a flu shot or a pneumonia shot, I'd I'd probably still do that part of it. Well, I think that's why they made the uh, the wording so vague on yeah. there, so so that you could do that. Now, Eric, would you do that if you had COPD and you were sixty five? Would you give me a flu shot? 
you know, if, if they're not showing any symptoms, I probably would. I know I talked with some other people about this. The, the, the one issue I have is, you know, okay, we give you the shot. Now, if you came back with a fever in a week, well, what's causing the fever? That's, that's always something we're going to worry about here. But I, I probably still would just because, you know, like, let's do what we can to protect them. But I mean, it's, there's a very fine line there. I think I'd have to make sure, have you been exposed? Have you taken precautions? Have you, you know, make sure they're not high risk for it given their exposure rate. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think the questionnaire needs to be lengthened. What do yeah. you do for a living? Yeah. Are you self-quarantining when you're not going to work? Yeah. Um, ben, have you traveled in the last? You know, all the all the questions you should be asking there um, to delineate whether they're, you know, a carrier. But truthfully, um, they could have just picked up a cereal box in aisle seven and got it right there. You know what I mean? So yeah. I understand where you're coming from, but I also understand pharmacists that don't want to give them at all. And you know, that's, that's their option too. Yeah. Discretion is key here. We have to, we have to say that. And I think that's what we're kind of getting at with this podcast in general is pharmacists need to be empowered to use their discretion. And if they want to go a little bit further than another pharmacist, fine. You know, it's only going to limit the transmission here, but we need to really be empowered to do what we can to protect ourselves and people so that we can still provide healthcare. I agree completely. All right. So now I'm going to kind of dive into a little bit, a few different things here. Say you're governor of a state, Steve, Stephen Meyer, state of Stephen Meyer, you're the governor. What would you do if, if from the onset to help try and fix this and make sure that pharmacists are part of the solution here to fixing this, this outbreak? Well, uh, I mean, we've spoken to some of the things that I would have in an ideal world. And, and the, the thing that I've really been harping on is there's, there's three ways we can address this, either, either protect with personal protective equipment, either segregate with the use of physical barriers, or basically you're setting up yourself up for a situation where you transmit, um, which is what we're kind of, what we're kind of allowing for now. Um, so what, what I really would like to do is make some of those barriers or PPE mandatory. Okay. So you definitely have to make some of the PPE mandatory and uh, either that or the physical barriers. Um, and you do have to have the option, though, where if a pharmacist in charge says, hey, you know, we can't comply by this. And I have a patient population out here, you know, in this uh, small town of. It, it, uh, of 300 where I'm the only option for these guys and I can't comply with this. Well, it, well, build in an opt-out clause. Yeah. Um, but, but that opt-out clause cannot be signed by, you, you know, the CEO of uh, a, a three letter pharmacy that's got to be signed by the pharmacist in charge. So I think we just have to go the next step and either protect with PPE or segregate with physical barriers and just make that mandatory. Now, if you make it mandatory, we, we're going to have that opt-out clause. I know there's probably people listening right now that are saying, no, you can't do that. I need to serve my patients. Well, that's fine. You just fill out a simple form, opt out of, the, of those guidelines. But what it's going to allow for, it is, it's going to allow for the pharmacist in, in the large retail chains to be empowered by that um, so they don't have to worry about hey, am I going to be fired if I implement my mitigation protocol? That's one thing I've seen all over the pharmacy staff for COVID-19. Yes. Is, I am worried about retaliation. Steve and Eric, please, please 
make this a private group and I'll tell you all about it. Well, it doesn't spread the message if it's a private group. We want, you know, I would love uh, Hayward Donegan and Larry Merlot. Um, I'd love them to click on my pharmacy staff for COVID-19 page. And you know what? This is me inviting them to do so um, because I, I think they need their eyes open um, to, to what the issue really is at hand. And when they're thinking bottom line, if you are going to think bottom line only, um, and I'm sure those are great leaders um, that I mentioned there um, in, in general, uh, yeah. I'm sure they've thought about these type of mitigation strategies, but even thinking bottom line, how much revenue are you going to lose when you close for two weeks or four weeks or eight weeks? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's time to uh, get out ahead of this. Yeah. And you know what? The one thing I will tell people too, this is why you need to join your state organizations. I've been in contact with mine. I know uh, Ohio Pharmacists Association. They've been leading the way with a lot of this and who they're contacting, whether it be uh, the Ohio State Board of Pharmacy, it's DeWine's office, what have you. They're sharing a lot of that, and that's why you're seeing direct impact. In fact, some of the stuff in the group for the pharmacy staff for COVID-19 support has gotten to them, and they've said, oh, crap, we're seeing that, and they forward it on. And then that's why you're seeing the implementation and the rollouts from the State Board of Pharmacy. So we're seeing direct impact from this group. So, again, Steve, thanks for starting it. It's huge. It's it, I'm sitting here right now, and my Facebook's up, and it's just blowing up with alerts from this thing. But, uh, but it, it, it's a good thing, right? We're getting the message out and we're seeing positive impact. In fact, we even put some letters out there that you could use to write to your state board that kind of show what Ohio's done to lead the way with some of this and to your employer to show, hey, here's what Ohio's doing. So if you feel scared at all, we're trying to do what we can to put some like generic wording out there in a letter that you can give to somebody to help express your concerns and show based off fact and precedent what has been done. Now you still have to like sign it, print it off or copy and paste it if you're sending it to somebody. But that's, I mean, if that, if you can't take the time to do that, then I can't help you. I'm sorry, especially when it comes to this pandemic. So we've put that out there. There's links to it. There's even links to a New York Times article that shows how high-risk pharmacists and technicians are. We're in one of the upper quadrants of it. We're actually very similar to nurses, ironically. So that's something to think about. When they keep mentioning nurses, pharmacists are right there. We're a little below, but it's it's incremental. It's not very much. So Steve, hey, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I'm really, really, really glad that I've known you for so long and you're taking a, a strong stance on this and that what you're doing and what I'm trying to help with here are leading to effective change to help protect pharmacists, pharmacy staff, and and most of all, our patients and the overall transmission of this. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. And uh, I look forward to future podcasts there, Mr. Geyer. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Uh, if you guys can you know, share this episode so we can get some of these concerns out to people, this will help pharmacy and our patients, which is key here. Also, if you can leave me a five-star review, I know I hate asking for it, but it helps people find stuff like this. Otherwise, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.